0: Well, guess what? I have great news. A king is coming. A king is coming. Wow, somebody's excited. I'm going to believe that's the Holy Spirit and not just two coffees, so that's, that's good. But you know what? A king is coming, and that's what we've been focused on, moving into Easter and just really reflecting on uh, everything that God has done for us. It's not just about the eggs and the candy, and please know that everything that we're doing this coming weekend, uh, we're going to get people here with candy, but we're hoping to send them home with Jesus. That, that's the real goal. It's not to give people more candy. You can get candy anywhere But we want to give people Jesus, and that's really the goal. And everything that we're doing stems from this idea that there's a king who is coming, who is coming to make himself known to people, who is coming to change hearts and change lives, to reveal himself to a people who may not yet know him. And as we move closer and closer to celebrating Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, the time in which we remember that this incredible king of the universe, who loved us so much, he laid down his one and only son to save us, gave us this gift of mercy of grace and salvation and we're just so blessed to be able to partake in that. But we've uh, started into this series called the king is the king is coming and we looked last week at, at you know this idea that God is truly the one in our lives that's worthy of praise and that throughout history we've seen time and time again how the people of God have turned their back on God asking for an earthly king instead of a godly king. But to this week we want to take a look at the prophet by the name of Jeremiah Uh, If you look through the Old Testament, you'll see a a grouping of books together that are the major and minor prophets in the Bible. Uh, Major just meaning that they had a longer length of time that they worked, not that they were better or any of those things. Uh, But Jeremiah, his goal, his, his call from God was to let Israel know that they were in a place where they had really strayed away from God. They had all these miraculous things that had taken place and they had come together to to be in a place of really worshiping idols more than the creator of the universe. And so Jeremiah speaks to this time and time again about how just it frustrates the heart of God that humanity chases after idols instead of worshiping God. And so we're going to read in Jeremiah 10 verses 6 through 10 this morning. You can follow along on the screens or if you have your own devices or Bibles, however you would like to do that. Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So here's what it says in verses six through 10. Jeremiah is speaking. He says, Lord, there is no one like you. How many of you agree with that? All right, good. That's a good place to start. Lord, there is no one like you for you are great and your name is full of power. Who would not fear you? O King of all nations. That title belongs to you alone among all the wise people of the earth. And in all the kingdoms of the world, there is no one like you. People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. Can your Bible say that a <clears throat> new living translation does. I would hate to see what the message says. I don't, I don't even know <clears throat> the things they worship are made of wood. They bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish and gold from you and they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols. Then they dress these gods in Royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. He is really frustrated. Okay. I mean, we we would have to gather that when he's saying all y'all who are worshiping false gods are foolish and stupid. Now I would tell any children in here, never call anybody foolish or stupid. Okay. That we don't, we don't talk like that. Jeremiah did. He was upset. Why? Because he's seeing among his own nation a people who have been specifically redeemed by God in a miraculous manner, but then have turned to the point of just worshiping false gods and idols. And they've just said, you know, this, this is who we want to look to. This is who we want to find comfort from, these gods that we have created. But he says this, this statement, who wouldn't fear you, God? God. Who wouldn't fear you? And again, maybe you've heard the fear of the Lord before. It's really just talking about reverence and, and just having respect for something. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you fear? What are you afraid of? Let me read a few things for you that people are afraid of. Arachnophobia. How many of you have, uh, just don't like spiders? Okay, that's not a whole lot. <clears throat> um, acrophobia fear of heights. I'm with that one. I just, you know what? I'm very aware of my own gravitational pull and how quickly it's going to bring me down. So yeah, I I get that. Aerophobia is the fear of flying. I feel like those are connected. You're up. You don't want to go down. Uh, Cynophobia is the fear of dogs. Is anybody afraid of dogs? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That one came up. Astrophobia is the fear of thunder and lightning. Yeah. Okay. Some of the kids are like, that's me. You know, there's a park ranger and I can't remember his name off the top of my head who was, he was a park ranger for 27 years. And in 27 years of working as a park ranger was struck by lightning six times. Now, if anybody deserves to head for cover when it's clouding up, it is that guy. Can You imagine he's like heading for cover and you're like, man, the odds of being struck by lightning. He's like, don't Makes sense. Trypanophobia is the fear of injection. Social phobia involves social situations. Agoraphobia involves the fear of being alone and not unable to escape situations. Misophobia is an excessive fear of germs and dirt. I think that's called coronaphobia now. But. <laughs> sorry. It's always good, wash your hands, that's fine. But there are a lot of fears in the world. That's just the, the tip of the iceberg here. I know of some strange phobias that people have. I had uh, one of my children, I won't name Meredith by name, but uh, when, when she was little, she was afraid to sleep in our basement. We had a, her bedroom and my other daughter, their bedrooms were down in our finished basement. And uh, you know she was down there and she was so worried that moles were gonna tunnel through the walls and were going to eat her feet. There are so many conversations you just don't expect to have to have as a parent. Listen, sweetie. No, no. The moles can't get through the cinder block. You're okay. But dad, you know, they're like, this is a legitimate conversation we had. Uh, A friend of mine in uh, high school, his brother was afraid of ketchup. He could literally trap his brother in his bedroom. If he would take a ketchup bottle and place it in the doorway his brother would not go near the ketchup bottle. And I'm like, I would have given anything to have that kind of power over my brother as a kid. (laughs) I'd have been putting buckets of it. (laughs) See ya. We have a lot of things that we're afraid of. A lot of people are afraid to die. Some people are afraid to live. In the midst of this, Jeremiah says, God whoever knows you, whoever sees you for who you truly are, fears you. They have a reverent awe and respect for you, who you are, what you have done, all that you have accomplished, the might of your strength and glory. There is a reverence for you. And he says, God, When we look at you, that's the way we should look at you. We should be so in awe of who you are. And when we juxtapose that with people who are worshiping false gods and idols, Jeremiah is so frustrated. He's like, how foolish this is to look at false idols and think that they're worth anything. In fact, he says in verses 8 and 9, People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. If you read in other places where Jeremiah is talking, he's so frustrated by this concept. He says, you know, you'll go out into the woods, you'll cut down a tree. You'll take half of the tree and chop that into firewood and you'll build a fire and cook your food. And then you take the other part of the tree and you carve an image and you bow down and you worship it. How foolish can you be? But he looks at this and he says they take beaten sheets of silver and gold, and they give materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols, and then they dress these gods, it'd be like in quotations there, in royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. He says they go to such incredible lengths to make sure that they're taking really good care of these false gods. They go to such incredible lengths to worship these false gods. And how many of you, as we look at this, we're like, how foolish could you be? Is that you think that? Well, I have news for you. We have our own gods that we bow down to. You know, I was doing some research in preparation for this sermon and really looking at what is it that we as Americans give more time to than anything else. You want to know what it is? screens. The average American, that's just, just the average. So there'd be people who are way above and maybe you consider yourself, well, I'm way below spends nearly six and a half hours a day looking at screens. Now that's also accounting for the fact that maybe you're on your phone and your laptop while watching Netflix at the same time that, you know, that's, that doesn't all go together, but they are spending that much time looking at screens. This incredible amount of time and energy that is given. And I know we always say it's the kids, right? The kids watch too much TV. Well, statistically, who's watching most TV is people 62 and older. Four and a half hours a day on average for people who are 62 and older is how much TV consumption is being done. And all over the world, we have all of these screens that we're looking at. Our phone screens, our tablet screens, our TV screens, our computer screens, a screen, a screen, a screen. I was reading another study that was talking about the amount of screen usage for the average American student prior to the coronavirus was that 31% of students spent about four hours a day looking at a screen. That number after COVID is now 77%, 31% to 77% in two years. That's unheard of. And we are in the midst of, of something that has really taken hold of us. And really it's no different from the wooden worship of Jeremiah's day. He said, you you make these false gods, you make these idols, you bow down to them, you give your time and attention to them, you make sure that they're beautifully made and ornate and covered and wonderful and awesome, and you just, you spend all of your time giving your time to these things that have no power and no meaning. Church, it's the exact same thing we do to TV. You know, we're so blessed. For those of you who are maybe under the age of like 35, there was a time when TVs were like this big and that was huge. That was a big TV. A 27-inch TV was huge. Some of you remember when TV became color, right? I had a black and white TV. That's what I had to play the original Nintendo on. That's how old I am. Original Nintendo on black and white TV. That's my age right there. Now, praise Jesus, you can go to Sam's Club and get an 86-inch TV. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I made the mistake of saying in first service that if you buy an 86-inch TV, you get to watch twice as much TV as a person who has a 43-inch television. That is incorrect. I was corrected by a math teacher who comes to first service. He said, no. If you look at it, it's actually four times the amount of TV. He was showing me on a diagram that he made. It was beautiful. Thank you, David Frew. So, I stand corrected. David, I know you said you were going to watch this later. I stand corrected. It is four times the amount of TV that you get to watch on an 86-inch television. Praise the Lord. You get to take all that much more in. You know, I'm making light of this and probably going a little bit extreme in some of the ways that we talk about this. But here's the reality. We all know we're spending way too much time looking at screens. And this is not a social issue. This is a spiritual issue. Because we're the same people who tell ourselves that we don't have time for God. We tell ourselves that we just don't have time to read our Bibles because we're so overwhelmed and inundated with stuff and things to do and places to go. And we get to the end of our day, and I get it. I'm just as much of a TV junkie as anybody else. And I want to sit down at the end of my day and unwind and watch whatever usually Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever can throw something that's just going to take my mind away and I just want to sit but then we'll tell ourselves I just don't have time for Jesus we'd look at the wooden idols that the people in Jeremiah's day make and we say man they were stupid and foolish but the reality is we have allowed the worship of another idol to take place Of the worship that truly belongs to this King who is coming. There's a King coming, church. And He's not like anyone else or anything else. We spend so much time worrying about having the latest, greatest, biggest, most beautiful of everything else in the world, and, and just like they did in their day, covering it in gold and silver and making sure that it is the QLED, not just the LED, that it is the smart TV and not the stupid TV, uh, that it is the, the newest iPhone and not the older one that looks exactly like it but was cheaper. We want to make sure that every single one of those things we've got, and we're taking care of them just like they did in these days. And he says, you're just dressing them in robes. You're covering them in gold and silver, and you're venerating them and acting like they have some kind of power. But here's the reality. When you let go of them, they have nothing. Let me prove this to you. How many of you, hopefully you're not um, tyrannophobic or whatever that word was, thunder and lightning. Uh, How many of you have ever been in a power outage before? Right? Right? How useful is your TV when the power goes out? It's worthless, right? Because it needs an outside source of power to make it turn on. And then it needs another outside source to either put content into it where you can watch DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever people do. Now, I think everybody streams now. It needs outside help to do anything. And when the power goes out we can see that this box that we might... I mean, I don't even know. I think those TVs were $1,700. Okay? So if you have a $1,700 TV, it now is a $1,700 paperweight. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. And the same is true. Well, maybe... You, I, I'm amazed when you have power outages. People must go on Facebook. No power. Just want everybody to know. I'm struggling through... It's been 47 minutes without Netflix. The kids are holding their phones and screaming. Again, I know I make light of it. But there's a truth underlying all of this that Jeremiah spoke to the people of his day that we really need to hear. There's a king coming, and he matters more than any of this. And you know what? There are things my, my phone, your phone... They have notifications on them. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. The average person looks at their phone 58 times a day. How often does the average person pray? The average person loses 37 minutes a day of productivity at work, just at work, looking at their phone. How much time are we spending reading our Bibles? I'm not trying to make this a negative issue, but there's a reality. There's a stark reality that needs to hit us just like it did in the people of Jeremiah's day, that we have allowed some idols into our lives that are keeping us away from deeper relationship with Jesus. In verse 10, he says, the Lord is the only true God. The Lord is the only true God. He is the living God. Why would he say that? Because he's talking about things that have no life in them. He's saying this is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up against his wrath. He's saying God is the one who's actually alive and and able to do something. Why do they waste their time on these idols? I want to share something with you, probably not a word you've ever heard before, but it's called the ontological argument. I want to give you an ontological perspective. The concept of ontology came from a man by the name of Anselm, who was alive around 1000 AD. And he was trying to come up with theories and explanations of how to prove the existence of God. And so his proof on the existence of God is what we call the ontological argument, and this is what it states that the concept of God is the greatest thing that we can fathom in our minds. There's nothing bigger than that concept that we can imagine. For instance, you know, maybe you've heard of Darwinism or evolution or, or some of those things that are are out there. You know, they say we were descended from monkeys. I don't know if they saw a picture of my brother and thought that, but it was something. But they always have to come back. Well, we we uh, you know we evolved from this, and it goes all the way back to this amoeba that was just you know hanging out here on the earth. Well, where did the amoeba come from? Or the strangest one I ever heard is that aliens came to the earth, and there was like some. Some alien stuff stuck to their feet or their ship or something that got wiped off onto the earth. And that's what began to form. Or maybe we'll talk about there was a giant explosion that took place. In every single case, we come back to this same thought. How did it happen or where did it come from? And Anselm said, because we can't imagine anything greater than a creator, that must mean that he's real and that he exists. And so this is exactly what Jeremiah is talking about. And he says... There's only one God. And how do I know that? Because everything else in existence was created by something or someone. You know, everything you have in your house was created, everything in your car was created, everything that you're wearing was created, everything that you see around you in the world, whether it be natural or whatever, it was created. Somebody else had an idea to build something, to make something. But there's only one thing. In all of existence that was not created. And it's God. And that's why Jeremiah says he's the only true living God. And listen, I know that church in our in our world today, culturally, we've got this prevailing idea that may and all religions are the same. We just got to learn to coexist. And, and we're all talking about the same God, but giving him different names and all this other garbage they want to throw out. Please hear me, it's alive from the pit of hell. There's one king, there's just one. He doesn't go by Buddha. He doesn't go by Muhammad. He is the God of the universe, the King of heaven and earth. His son Jesus came to die for us. And the only way we can get around thinking that all religions are the same is to not understand any of them at all. Because when we look at Christianity, it makes so very clear it cannot coexist with anything else. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one... No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Church, God says, I want all of you. If we read in the Old Testament when God is giving the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, the very first thing he says to them, number one, is that the Lord your God is a jealous God. And I will not share dominion with anybody. I will not share space in your life with anybody. I will not share space in your life with anything. And if you think that you're going to sit and play with your phone, your tablet, your TV, your computer screen, I got my report this morning. If you have an iPhone, they do this horrible thing for you. They give you a report to tell you how long you spent on your t- on your screen this week. It's from hell. I know it. I got mine during first service. It gave me my weekly report, it told me that my average screen usage was up 23% to this week. I don't want to tell you what the number was because it's worse than telling you my weight. I'd rather tell you my weight. <laughs> God says you're going to spend that much time looking at a screen and then tell yourself you have no time for me. You're going to bow down to that idol. You're going to bow down to that false God covered in gold and silver and a robed in beautiful things that you made for it that has no power beyond its own. You're going to do that, but you don't have time for me. You know, we're going to do a baptism in a few minutes here. And baptism is not just getting dunked in this really cold water. I'm sorry, guys. It's... woo. I'm just glad I'm not getting in. That's (laughs) Baptism is not just getting dunked in water. Baptism is this moment that we delineate in our lives where we say from this moment forward, I choose to be washed of everything of my past to embrace this one king for my future. That I make a statement publicly Before anybody and everybody, that I am no longer my own, that I am God's, that my future does not belong to me, it belongs to God. My time, that is so precious, that I think I've only got so much of, it belongs to God. And friends, there's a a truth in the midst of this that we need to know. I'm just—I'm going to be open with you for a second here. You'll—you get to see into my broken brain. I turned 39 last week and I've never really worried about how old I was before, but I, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? The average lifespan for men in America is about 77 years old. I'm like, I just crossed the halfway point. It just kind of hit me. I was like, Oh, I don't like that feeling. And there's a reality that I'm faced with. I very likely have less time ahead of me than I do behind me. And that's for all of us. You know, even if I live to be 100 years old, there's gonna be a day when I take my last breath. Can I tell you, I don't wanna take that last breath in a room full of TV screens and computers and tablets staring at my iPhone We're getting the latest notification from whatever else they came up with between now and then. I want to be surrounded by my family and the presence of God. You know, here's what, what comes into thought with that. Because if that is the reality that sits in my mind the most, then I'm like, at that moment, that's all that's really going to matter. Shouldn't that be what really matters now? Shouldn't that be what really matters now, Church? to make the decision to say, "Listen, I'm, I'm not going to keep bowing down to screens. I'm not going to keep putting my kids to bow down in front of screens. I want to get them to a place where they can have relationship with Jesus. I want that for my own heart, for my own life, and I, I'm, I'm God, how do I lead my family to do this? Because it is a reality. I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. For those of you who are going to get baptized this morning, I'm excited for the things that God wants to do in your life because you're making the decision. You're saying, I want more of Jesus. I want to make a decision in front of everybody to say what really matters most to me is not the things of this world, but the things that God has in store for my future. I want more of this real king. I want more of the real, true God of heaven and earth. And church, we get to be a part of that today. It's so awesome and such a blessing. Before we do that, I want us to be challenged and to think through this in our own lives. So I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Nobody's looking around, and this is just a moment between you and God. Maybe as we've been talking through this topic of idols and idolatry and screens this morning, you just feel something tugging at your heart. You know, I'm giving too much time and attention to things that don't really matter. And I need to start making more time for Jesus. I want to make that decision. that's you i just want to ask you to slip up a hand at me so i can pray for you i want to choose that thank you thank you i don't want to be carried away by things that have no lasting value i want an everlasting relationship with the one true god anybody else i don't want to miss anybody thank you i want to pray for you most of you raised your hand to say you want more of god And there is always a big difference between what we want and what we do. The book of James says the difference between hearing and doing. But I want to pray that God would give you the strength to be a doer. That you would in some way be turned in your attention and priorities to this one true king of heaven and earth. And so God, I pray right now for every person in this room who raised their hand or who might be watching online. God, I pray that you would be with them in this moment of clarity that you are bringing into their lives, God, where they would be so challenged to say, I want more of Jesus. I don't want to keep giving more of myself away to things that don't matter. I don't want to give more of myself away to a screen and then convince myself that I don't have time for my king. God, we want to choose you in our lives. And it is a choice we're going to have to make every day in every circumstance. And God, I pray that in some way you'd begin to turn in our hearts and our minds. Maybe if we see a notification on our phone or a tablet or whatever, that that God, we begin to say, in some way, this is God trying to get a hold of my heart and my life. I want to think about Jesus. I don't want to be focused on these things. But God, I pray that you would just help every single one. Help us to choose you more of you, God, to rid ourselves of the idolatry that's drawing us away from you. This comfort that we look for in entertainment, it just pales in comparison to you. And God, I pray for those who are about to be baptized this morning. I pray, God, that this would just be an incredible moment where they see your hand at work in their lives. Not just a ceremony, God, not just getting dunked into a tub here. But to truly believe by faith, as you said, that when we are buried through baptism in a death like yours, that we are raised to life in eternity, just like you. And so God, I pray that for them this morning, that this would be a moment where things change, that they see this as a pivotal moment in their lives, where things that were in them that were broken are healed. Things that were confusing are now clear. God, that you would use this time to make yourself known in powerful ways to them. We thank you, God, that we get to honor you, our true king, in Jesus' name.